All right. Well, we're going to talk about mothers today, and not just moms. We're going to talk about women. This is your day, ladies. Woo! Yes. In the Bible, the, the, the scripture has a lot to say about motherhood and has a lot to say about females in general. And just by way of a general understanding, women possess a tremendous amount of power and a tremendous amount of strength. Is there any woman that would disagree with me on that? No? Your power and your strength lies in your influence. Let's just say it together. As all the ladies, I want you to say it with me. My power, my power and my strength, my strength lies in my influence. In my influence. I, can use my influence wisely, I can use my influence wisely, or I can use my influence foolishly. It's true. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom and foolishness are personified as females. Well, what is that saying? It's saying that that's, it's demonstrating for us in a metaphor the power of a woman and the power that she possesses. She possesses the power of tremendous wisdom, or she can possess the power of tremendous foolishness. It says, the wise woman builds her home, but the foolish woman tears it down with both hands. You see, yeah. hello, right? So your power lies in that. And we're going to look briefly at Proverbs 31. I'm not going to do the whole, the whole chapter, but I'm going to do just a couple of pieces of that. And then I want to show you some other things as it relates to motherhood and as it relates to women. In Proverbs 31, which is a really a declaration of uh, sort of an ideal woman as she relates from God's eyes, it shares with us a lot of things. And it starts, it, as you get down a little bit further, in the verse 10, it starts talking about the woman. It says, a virtuous wife, who can find one? For her worth is far more than rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This is really interesting because we oftentimes uh, understand the word virtue as this virtuous, very sort of devout, sort of very quietly demeanored woman. That's sort of the way the church celebrates the woman because that's how we understand the text to read. But that's actually not what the text is saying. The word kail is the word for virtuous, and it means noble strength. So a woman of noble strength, who can find one? A woman of excellent strength, who can find one? This is what this word means. It actually means an elite warrior. Hello. It actually, it's the same word that's used for a very small but powerful army. That's the word kail. So it says a very small but powerful army of a woman, who can find one? An elite warrior woman, who can find one? Huh? Do I have your attention, ladies? Yes. Right? This is, what, this is how God sees you. This is how God has created you. Excellent, noble in strength, wise, the capacity for tremendous wisdom and also the capacity for tremendous foolishness. One of the things it says here is that her husband trusts her. He lacks no gain. Because of the strength that she adds to him, he prospers. So she does her husband good all the days of her life. So she seeks to do her husband good. She is industrious and aware. This is what else goes on. If you want to read the chapter today, it just talks about who she is and what her character traits are. And, and really what, it, what, what a lot of times the Bible is doing is it's trying to awaken in us a destiny. It's trying to awaken in us who we really are. And so the Bible is actually speaking to who we are. That's why Jesus comes into our hearts. 
And when the gospel is preached or the word of God is preached, it actually it's speaking to Christ in you, calling out who you really are. She's industrious, she's aware, she's compassionate, she's generous. Her words speak kindness, and she watches over her home. This is what this excellent warrior of noble strength, just some of the things that she does. She's a businesswoman. She can be if she chooses to be. Next slide. And it says at the end, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own words praise her in the gates. What the Bible's telling us here is it's telling her where her virtue comes from. It tells us where her noble strength comes from. Her noble strength doesn't come from the family that she was born into, her educational or social or economic background. It tells us where the strength of the woman is coming from. The strength of the woman is coming from her relationship with the Lord and the depth of her relationship with the Lord. The woman who fears the Lord, reveres, honors, serves God. She's the one that's praised. So it tells us, tells you women where your virtue is coming from. You will not possess noble strength. You will not possess power. You will not possess anything without the depth of relationship with Jesus. So say it with me. It's all about Jesus. Without Jesus, no power. Without Jesus, no wisdom. Without Jesus, no strength. It all flows from him. Her strength flows from her relationship with the Lord. And you know what? Look at verse 31. Heaven recognizes this type of woman. What type of woman does heaven recognize? That type of woman. The woman who has a depth of relationship with the Lord and releases that virtue. Heaven recognizes her. That's actually a prophetic declaration. Heaven is speaking over and saying, give her what she labors for. That's a declaration. God is declaring over the virtuous woman that she receive what she's working for. What are you working for, ladies? Are you working for anything? Are you laboring for anything? What is it that you want? It's a big question. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Heaven recognizes her and she matters. The big thing oftentimes women in a culture, you know, Christianity is the liberator and the emancipator of women. There is nobody, nowhere, no how, not ever, not now, not in the future that will ever love you or free you as a woman like Jesus. No one. No one. The institutional systems won't do it. Your government won't do it. Other religions won't do it. No one will do it. Culture itself will not liberate women. The gospel liberates the woman. The gospel frees the woman. If anybody should love Jesus with all their heart, it should be the ladies. They should be breaking the alabaster box over him and saying, whatever I got, it's yours. Because nobody does for you what he has done for you or ever will do for you. In heaven's eyes, you matter. The woman matters to God. She not only matters, she is to be acknowledged. Verse 28 says, her children rise up and, and, rise up and call her blessed. And it says, her husband also praises her. So today, ladies, you're going to be getting gifts from your kids, or you're going to be getting something from your kids. Maybe, hopefully, should be. Maybe not. Who knows? But, but it is right for a child to bless their mother. The children should bless them, and what it means is to bestow. And so if you're a, a, a child today, and you, you have your mother, and you still have your mother, we're to bestow, we're to bless your mom, and say, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And you say, but it isn't perfect, Kevin. It never is. It never is, and it never will be. But yet we bless the fact that we have a mother. We bless the fact that our moms love us as, the, as best they are capable of doing. We bless our moms. 
says her husband praises her. Praises her. What does it mean to praise her? What does it mean for husbands to praise their wives? Well, if you know anything about what we teach here, praise has nothing to do with feeling. Praise is an acknowledgement. Praise means to extend. You're extending something to your wife, if you're married here this morning, that has nothing to do with how you feel. You're extending yourself to her. Say, I don't want to. Too bad. Doesn't ask you if you want to. You have to. You get to. Malachi says, in the book of Malachi, it's talking about, in particular, the relationship between the man and the woman. And it's talking about God is correcting, in particular, the men because of the way they've been treating their wives. And they've been treating their wives because they've had a false perspective of the woman. They have seen, and oftentimes in our culture, in our society, we have false perspectives when it comes to the marital relationship. We see the wife as our business partner, we see her as our roommate, we see her as the mother of our kids, we see her as maybe somebody we go and have intimate relationships with from time to time, time to time, or have dinner with, but we do not see her correctly. And that is a massive dysfunction in relationships. Massive. Say, the women's got dysfunctions. Yes, they do. But God corrects the man because the woman is a responder. Okay, I need all the men in the room to say it with me. The woman is a responder. What I give her is what she will respond with. You don't believe me? <laughs> Try it out. Give her love. Give her humility. Give her affection. Give her adoration and see what she responds with. You say, I did that once and she got mad at me. Well, I'm saying make it a pattern. Make it a pattern. Do it for two weeks consistently and tell me she doesn't respond. Tell me she doesn't respond. She will respond because she's designed to respond. She's not only designed to respond, she's designed to amplify what you give her. So whatever you give the woman, she's going to amplify it. We teach it here all the time. You give a woman love, she's going to amplify it back to you. You give a woman trouble, oh, she's going to amplify it back to you. There's verses in the Bible that says it's better to be on the roof of the house than be in the same room with a contentious woman. Why? Because she's... she's <laughs> why? Well, you're giving, she's, you're, she's amplifying trouble back to you. So if you want something else coming back your way, you've got to give her something different. I deal with men all the time, and oftentimes men say it's got to start with the woman. It never starts with the woman. Ever, 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 it never starts with the woman. It always starts with the dude. Every time. You say, that's not fair. Well, there's nothing fair about it. It's the way that it is. The man has to lay his life down for his wife. He has to die that she would live. Die emotionally, die mentally, die relationally. He has to die in every way in order that she would live. Without it, no marriage. Without it, no relationship. I see all the husbands in the room going, you got that right, brother. I'm dead today. I'm like a zombie, man. Woo! She's on fire, but man, woo! Somebody gonna pray for me after service. Get me back to life here. So. But he has to die for her. He has to lay himself down. He has to be humble. He has to apologize he, and for, for, for nonsense. He has to treat her as she's not deserving of being treated. Oh. You have to treat her as she's not deserving of being treated, as Christ loved the church. That's the point. Does Jesus treat you as you're not deserving to be treated? Yes, he does. He treats you not according to what you deserve. He loves you when you are completely unlovable. He's kind to you when you are completely undeserving of kindness. 
He serves you when you are completely undeserving of servitude. You say, that hurts. It's called death. It doesn't hurt. It's execution. It's what it is. He, just, he lowers you that he might lift you up. That's how it works. She's a responder. God told them their perspective was wrong. In Malachi, they were looking at their wives for all the wrong reasons. And God said, she is your friend and she is your companion. There's your perspective, gentlemen. How do you see your wife? It tells us. We see her as our friend and as our companion. Not like friend, buddy, pal. It's a depth of friendship. It's a oneness of companionship. She, in other words, what it's saying is you're on the same team. You have to begin to see your wife and your husband, if you're here this morning, and see that you guys are on the same team. The Bible says you are friends and companions. You're on the same team. Just saying. What he said was, he told them in a, in a very different way than I'm saying it. He's a little, lot more direct than I'm saying it. The Bible says that because you don't treat, her, specifically the men towards the women, you're treacherous to her. You don't see her as your friend. You don't treat her as your companion. And in doing so, you are actually unfaithful to the covenant. That's what it says. My name is Kevin, and I'm your friend and your companion. I'm not your wife, but I am your friend and companion. When we treat each other that way, and we don't treat each other as friends and companions, the Bible says you are betraying the covenant. That's why marriage isn't working. Marriage isn't working because the friendship and the companionship within the relationship is not there. Can I get a witness? God said you're violating the covenant. And in violating the covenant, the marriage isn't working. We get this? Understand this? This is what it means to be a believer. We follow what God says, not what Dr. Phil and Oprah says and what you know, our, you know, our culture is saying. We are Christians, which means Jesus is our king, and his word is the final answer. So we do what he says. Whether we like it or not, we do what he says, and the Bible actually calls you to be faithful unto death. We do what he says. No matter what it costs us, we do what he says. It's that, it's that all in. And so what he tells them, and he said, it's treacherous, and you're breaking the covenant, and this is why marriages fail. This is why relationships fail. This is why. Next slide, please. So this addresses moms and single moms. And what I want to ask, I want to talk to you a little bit about single moms, and I want to address the fact that women don't have children. And people often ask me, does the Bible have anything to say about single moms? Absolutely. Does the Bible have anything to say about women who can't or don't or won't or don't want children? Yes, it does. The Bible addresses every form of social problem Every form of relational problem, there is not one thing that the Bible does not answer. Not one. It actually is a life giver. Single moms, watch this. The maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. He is your redeemer and the holy one of Israel. He's proclaiming who he is over you. I have called, I, I am, he is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you. He said, you're single, I, don't have, I have no, no husband, I have a child, what about me? God says, I call you. I call you. I call you like a woman who is forsaken and a woman who is grieved in her spirit. I call you like a youthful woman when you are forgotten and alone. Are you forgotten and alone, ladies, and you're single or single moms? The Bible tells you to call on the Lord. Back to that depth of relationship with the Spirit. Back to that depth of relationship with the Lord. God promises you that. So if you're alone and you're a woman, you, you take God to that verse and say, Lord, you said you were my husband. 
You said that in, in the lieu of me not having a, a husband, you will be my husband. You said that you are God of all of the earth. You said that you have called me. You said that you will help me when I'm grieved in my spirit. You said that you would bless me when I'm forgotten and I feel alone. You call upon him. You call upon him. You put him in remembrance of his word. And then here's Psalm 68. Everybody say it with me. Sing. Sing. Get happy, ladies. Get happy. Jesus likes women who sing. You say, I can't sing. He didn't ask you if you could sing. He told you to sing. All through the scripture, the women are singing. Men too, but there is always the highlight upon the woman. Sing. Some, singing to a woman must release something. I'm not a woman, so I don't know. I know what it does for when I sing, but God pushes on the woman a lot to sing. Sing. Sing praises to his name and extol him who rides upon the clouds. His name is Yah, which means he is the becoming one. He is the provider, past, present, and future. Celebrate before him. Why? Because he is a father to the fatherless. And I love this. He is a champion to the husbandless. Is God in his holy habitation. You need a champion? Jesus is your champion. You need somebody to fight for you? Jesus says he's going to fight for you. That's what a champion was. They would go out and they would fight for the people. And so you ask this question. Well, what about women who don't have children? Can't have children or, you know, whatever, whatever the circumstances are. Who knows? But there's lots of them. What about them? What, what is their relationship to the world around them on Mother's Day? The Bible says, rejoice, O childless woman. You who have not given birth, start singing. Huh? Here we go again. Joyful shout. Sing, sing, sing. <laughs> Lord, I got a problem. The Lord looks at the woman and goes, sing. What is singing going to do? Sing. Sing. Shout. What do you want me to shout? Shout to me that you got a problem. Lord, I got a problem. <laughs> I'm serious. Sing, break out in song, shout, you who have never given labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. What does that mean? What the Bible's saying is look around you. There are lots of opportunities to mother. There are lots of people who need mothering. There are lots of people who need mentoring. Lots of them. Lots of them. And there are lots of opportunities. There are kids in your neighborhood. There are kids in the school. There are people around you. You know, if you're an older woman, your opportunity to mentor younger women is, is huge. It's actually a mandate. Older women teach the younger. Teach them to love, their kill, to love their husbands and serve their kids. It's one of the ways you mother. We remother one another. Does this make sense to you guys? Yeah? So this is what the Bible is calling. And one of the things the scripture does as Christians is we are the restoration of the family. We're the answer. You never, yes, I didn't have any brothers and sisters. Look around. Look around. I don't have any mother or father. Look around. Look around. Look around. The, the church is to be the restoration of the family within itself and ultimately to the world. We are the restored family. And we are to do that. We are to minister one to the other that way. I get young guys that say, oh, man, how do, I, how do I keep myself pure? And, you know, I just don't know how I keep myself pure. Well, there's a verse in Timothy that says, treat the younger women as sisters and treat the older women as mothers. That should help you out right there. You're not going to go hang out and, you know, do that with your sister, are you? Well, no. You're not going to want to hang out and go do that with your mother, are you? No. Well, it's telling you to get a mentality in your head, you know, to think that way. Next slide. 
responsibilities of the mother, okay? So what is it that a woman God calls a mother to do? So this is, this is who you are. This is your value, that you are valued. This is what God speaks over you. And it's also what God, he, he ministers to the woman at every point of her need, wherever she is in the spectrum. God ministers to that need. But mothers who have children or mothers who are mentoring or developing uh, people around them, whatever your role may be at this stage of your life, the first thing the Bible tells you is to have joy in motherhood. Have joy. Ready for this, ladies? Joy is not based on external circumstances. Okay? Your kids aren't where you want them to be. The Bible says get happy. Get happy. Thank God. You have joy. Joy is based upon an inward knowing. And where does the joy come from as a mother or even as a parent? It comes from when you give them over to the Lord and you invite the Holy Spirit into their circumstances. Huh? Invite the Holy Spirit into the circumstances that you cannot control, particularly with your children. You know what you do? I'm going to give it to you. Let's just do this. You're like overwhelmed. Any moms ever feel that way? Oh my God, what do I do? This is insane. I can't handle this. Bible says get happy. Why do we get happy or have joy? Because God loves them more than you. And you know what he waits for? He waits for the one with delegated authority to give him permission to work. You say God should just work in my children. He does not. Unless you, the one who has been given delegated authority, the sovereign God has delegated authority to you. And he waits for you to give him permission to do what he wants to do. If you don't give him permission, he does not do. All through the scripture. You don't have it because you don't ask for it. Why? Because we have a delegated authority. You invite the Lord into your family. You invite the Lord into your home. You invite the Lord into your children's lives. If you will not, he will not come. Jesus says never comes where he's not invited, and he never comes where he's not wanted. Very important to understand. That's why we invite the Lord. Lord, be with us now. Holy Spirit, come. We invite him because he requires an invitation. He can walk in and go anywhere he wants, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He comes where he's invited. He does what he's asked. That's why we must ask him. We must invite him. What's it look like? looks like this. Lord, I have no idea what to do. I'm totally clueless as a parent. And you just do this. I learned this, okay? <laughs> I taught this to a friend of mine. He's like, man, I just don't know what to do. My kids are out of control. I'm like, are they teenagers? He's like, yeah. He's like, I go, it's like, do this. I just release the fullness of the Holy Spirit into the lives of my children. Holy Spirit, I just release you to do what you are want to do. Release the Lord. Give God the permission to do what you cannot. It may get worse before it gets better because God may have to pull some stuff out of the closet and make it look ugly in order to turn the situation around, right? Let him do what you, and that's where you have joy. You have joy because you've given it over to the Lord. God loves them more than you do, and you've just invited Jesus to do something that you can't. Dedicate their children to the Lord. This was a requirement of both parents, but in particular on Mother's Day, that they were required to bring their children before the Lord. The woman was to have the baby, and eight days later she was to give the, the child to the Lord, and his flesh was to be cut away. If it was a male child, it was called circumcision. So what's that tell you? Ready? Ready? What's that tell us as parents? As parents, part of our job is to help our children cut the flesh out of their lives. We are to help our children remove the fleshly attitudes, the fleshly lifestyles, the fleshly uh, words. We're to help them remove the flesh from their lives. 
And one of the ways we do that is we present them unto the Lord. So they were to represent the children unto the Lord. So the responsibilities of a mother to have joy in motherhood, the way we have joy is by releasing it to the Lord. Another way is to dedicate these children to the Lord. Dedicate them. Help them remove the flesh from their lives. Nurture them. 1 Thessalonians, Isaiah talks about a mother who nurtures. What does nurture mean? How do you nurture your child? It's not, oh, sweet little baby boo-boo. That's not nurturing. <laughs> nurturing is you begin to identify who your child is. You begin to encourage who your child is. And you begin to have compassion where your child is, right? Compassion means you suffer with them. When they're going through puberty or whatever age they're going through, you're with them. You suffer it through with them and listen to them. My kids, when they, when they have an emotional problem, if they need coaching and mentoring and understanding, oftentimes they come to me. But if they need, like, you know, horrible pain in their heart or something like that, oftentimes they go to my mom. Or my mom, not my mom, their mom. You know, they go to their mother. Because the, the one of the woman's roles and identity is to nurture and to develop and encourage with compassion the child. And this is another one. This is something we've lost in our culture. This next one. We are to correct our children. Oh my gosh, Dr. Spock didn't teach that. That's not, and forget Dr. Spock, that's like the 70s. We teach today that the kids, we, we, we teach, we train our kids in Montessori style. Whatever they want, whatever they feel, whatever they need, it's just according, we, we don't say anything in their life. We don't correct them at all. Never bring correction into our children's lives. Why? Well, we don't want them to not like us. Come on, parents in the room, right? I'm a parent, I've raised kids. You know, so we don't want to bring correction because correction hurts. We don't want to bring correction because correction makes us all feel uncomfortable. The Bible says an undisciplined child is a shame to their father and a grief to their mother. Nothing worse than undisciplined and untrained children. They become shames to their father and they become griefs to their mother. Right? Can I get a witness? Right? My name is Kevin. I'm your friend. Right? Now, what does that mean? It means you do the best that you can as a parent. Ultimately, your children reach an age where they're going to tell you that, th that they don't want to listen to you anymore. And there reaches an age where you have little or no ability to tell them what to do. The Bible tells us with the younger, we are to train them. Train them to what? Fear the Lord or reverence God. That is the number one responsibility of parents of young children. Teach them to fear the Lord. Teach them to respect and honor Jesus. At the very least, the minimum standard, get them in church. That's the minimum standard. Into a church that teaches the gospel, teaches the principles, and will instruct your children and help them to grow into a relationship. That's Article 1, if you have young children. Older children, you do your best to mentor and to coach them. Right? What happens with older children? You're not telling me what to do. I'm going to do whatever you want, whatever I want. And let me give you the answer to that. You may be of the age to do whatever you want, but you're not doing it here. Well, that doesn't sound loving. That's truth, people. Truth. I'll give you a verse. The Bible says, cast out the mocker and there'll be peace. Cast out the mocker and there'll be peace. When children reach an age and they want to continually take advantage of or press into or whatever it is that they're doing with their parents and they want to make sure, they want to make sure that they're in charge, they've never been designed to be in charge, right? We've never been designed to be in charge. It's just not the way it is. When my children have children, then they'll be in charge. But until them, I'm in charge. 
I will always be in charge. I am their father. It's just the way it is, right? Now, that doesn't mean I abuse them. That doesn't mean I demean them. My role is to develop them and encourage them and, and help them become life-giving people in and of themselves. But at the same time, it's like when they reach an age and they say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, not here you're not. That may be so, but not here. That's the truth. You have to set boundaries. You have to set standards. It's just the way it is. That's what God expects you to do. I could give you story after story in the Bible where parents did not set the boundaries for their children. And not only were they cursed, but their children were cursed. They lost their children because they wouldn't establish boundaries. Their children went away. The very thing that they were trying to preserve was lost. David, Eli, just to name two. I could keep going. I'm sure there's more. Those are the two that are immediately coming to me. David would never discipline his son. Never. Absalom, oh, he loved Absalom. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my good-looking, beautiful, glorious son who has golden locks hanging down to his hair that all the girls love him. Absalom, Absalom, Absalom. He never disciplined Absalom, ever. And Absalom turned against him. Absalom built an army and tried to take his father's throne. Absalom was killed. David lost many men fighting to get abs to preserve. His men went out and fought for David. David wouldn't even fight against his own son, and his own son was trying to take his head off. And his men went out and preserves David's kingdom, killed Absalom. Absalom died. He got his hair, his, his vanity, he, you know, he got his hair caught in the trees, and he couldn't get his hair out of the trees. The, very, the vanity of Absalom was what did him in. And David didn't cry over the men that died. He cried because his son died. And his general rebuked him. And he said, the men that lost their lives preserving you, and you cry over this, over this son that you refused to discipline? You refused to discipline him? Eli was the same thing. The Lord took the anointing from Eli because he would not discipline his kids. And what does discipline look like? Look, it's love, it's respect, it's honor. If it violates God, it's outside of God's economy. Can we understand that? Discipline is merely correction. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's not beating. It's not yelling. It's not screaming. You can discipline a kid in, or discipline another person in a very calm way. This is just like this. Just an exchange. I'm going to do whatever I want. Not here. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I didn't get upset. You know, what's that look like? Well, the door's right there. You know, uh, that's pretty much how it is. And the reason is, is because I have not raised children to cause turmoil in my home. They're to be peace and blessing to me. And if they need to go learn the harsh lessons of life, then they have to go learn the harsh lessons of life. And again, this is, I'm telling you what the Bible says. I'm not telling you what our touchy-feely culture says. Our touchy-feely culture tells us to do something else, and we inherit the whirlwind from that. <laughs> Marriages are destroyed. Lives are destroyed. All because we don't address these issues. It's important. It's really big. That's, that's a huge piece. It's, I mean, we see it in the schools all the time. You see it in school. Teacher tries to correct a kid. Kid freaks out. Kid starts tossing tables. Right? You seen the videos? Teacher doesn't know what to do. Out of his mind. And what's the parent do? You discipline my kid again and I'm suing you and I'm suing the school. Well, if the parent would discipline the child, the child probably wouldn't be behaving that way in the school. But, you know, it's all a breakdown. It's a breakdown. It's not an issue of pointing blame. The problem is systemic. The problem is sin. And ultimately, the resolution at a basic level is just doing what Jesus said. Just do what he said. Love your kids, affirm your kids, acknowledge your kids, but point them towards Christ. Cut the flesh out of their lives. 
This is what we're supposed to do. I met so many people that come back to the Lord, and they told me, I was raised in Christian homes. I went buck wild, did my crazy thing. Life taught me some harsh lessons, but I remembered what my parents taught me, and I came back to the Lord. They come back limping, but they come back. Right? They come back hurt, but they come back. That's why it's important that we instruct our children and we reverence. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, I cannot go where you're going. I will stay here. I'm your father. I will always be here. Could we need to tell the story of the prodigal son. We need to tell that story. Right? Father's like, I'm not going with you. You can go. I don't want you to go, but you can go. And I'll be here. And he went. We're to teach them and develop them for kingdom impact. This is another area where, where ladies, you come in, and we're going to, this last point, and then we're going to pray a little bit. I'm going to pray over you. We teach them and develop them for kingdom impact. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is calling out Timothy, and Timothy now is a pastor. He's leading a church. And how did Timothy get there? Well, one of the ways Timothy got there is the Bible tells us he had a grandmother and he had a mother that taught him the Bible. His grandmother Lois and his, and his mother Eunice, who faithfully taught you the scriptures. You say, man, I don't know the Bible myself. How do I teach my kids? Get them in church. Get them in church. Show them the value of the gospel. Show them the value. You have any idea what we try to do to show that the kingdom is fun? You ever been in our kids' room back there, particularly this room right here? It's like toy wall. Why is it toy wall? Because Jesus is a giver, right? You, you, you do the things that we need to do, boom, you know? It's, it's just a really, we, we do our best to train these kids in the, in the kingdom. We train them for kingdom impact. If we invest in our children, God will do the rest. God will do the rest. A lot of you come to Christ at a very older age, and you're coming, not coming out of Christian backgrounds, and you can feel the deficiency that's there. Imagine if your children, I'm, I'm that guy. My kids have the potential, the potential, to go four, five, six, seven, eight, ten times further than me because they were raised with the gospel. I was not. My kids know more of the gospel at 15 than I did at 21. You know, at 10, my kids knew more about Jesus than I did in my 20s. So what's the potential? Is the investment in them, God will take that investment and do great and mighty things with them. Were they going to be pastors? That's not what I'm saying. They're going to be godly business leaders. They're going to be godly, godly entrepreneurs. I'm telling you that. They're going to be godly family members, godly husbands, godly wives. They're going to raise godly children. They're going to change the world. That's what God will do with them if we invest this in our children. It's imperative. It's important. Pray for your kids, ladies. Pray for them. I just did a wedding last night. Some little tired. It was like, party. <laughs> and the father came up to me. And I felt the Lord tell me what an honor it was for me to do this guy's wedding because the father came up to me and he said, I have prayed, this very godly man, this girl's uh, father, he said, I have prayed for 25 years that my daughter would marry a godly man and that God would choose for her and all this stuff. But he just kept talking about how much he had prayed for this moment. And he kept using, he was using the word kairos, you know, which I, he's like, do you know what kairos means? And I'm like, yeah, I use it all the time. Moment of change. He said, I've prayed for this moment of all of the, of, for these things to happen. And he said, and, and here we are, we're standing in this moment. And I just told him, I said, man, what an honor it is for me to do a wedding for you that you have prayed for for 20 years. Amen. I said, I am blessed to do your daughter's wedding. 
you've prayed for heaven to do for this moment, and God has allowed me to step into that. I told him, I said, what an honor. So what was the point? He prayed for his kids. Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Believe God for the promises over their life, not what you see in their lives. Not what you're seeing. Don't be moved by what you're seeing. Be moved by what God is saying, by what he tells you is going to happen. Just be moved by that. Pray for them. When you're incompetent, and listen, you are what incompetent means, it means you don't know what you're doing. Okay? So let me free a lot of parents this morning. You don't know what you're doing. You don't. You're doing the best you can with what you have. And even if you've read all the books and done all the seminars and you know how to handle certain things, you are inevitably going to be confronted with situations that you don't know what to do. It's going to happen. So what do you do when you don't? We pray. And we invite the Lord to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We invite him to finish the work in our children. If we will give our children to the Lord, he will take them every single time. Every single time, if you will give your children to the Lord, he will take them. And you know what, God, you know what Jesus does when he claims something? Jesus never gives up ownership. I don't know if you're aware of that. Never does he forfeit ownership. When it's his, it's his. Even if what's his isn't acting like it's his, it's still his. And he'll still own it, and he'll still work with it, and he'll still, he won't give up. He keeps working. That's why it's imperative that we give, whatever God gives to us, and whatever it is that we have, it's imperative that we bring the Jesus into that. Because he's the only one that can fix the mess, and he's the only one that's competent to do anything with it. That's what's so important about it all. And so parents, you have to do that. You have to like release your children, pray for your kids, ask the Lord to do for you what you cannot do. It is okay, say it with me, it is okay to acknowledge weakness to Jesus. For where you are weak, he is strong. We think it's wrong to acknowledge weakness, that you couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually your honor to acknowledge weakness. Because only when you acknowledge weakness can the strength of God come into that moment. It's okay to acknowledge weakness. I do it all the time. Say, so you don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, you got that right. I don't. I do the best that I can with what I have. And where I know that I'm short, I believe God. And, he, and you know what God does? He always provides. Always provides. Always. I don't know what I'm doing, Lord. Show me. Boom. He shows me. I don't know what to do, Lord. Wait. You know? Always he shows me. But he shows me when I acknowledge weakness. I don't know how to parent. He shows me. I don't know how to love my wife. He shows me. I don't know how to serve your people. He shows me. So you're a pastor. You don't know how to serve the people. You'd be shocked how many pastors don't know what they're doing. They just won't tell you what, like I tell you. You know why? I am so reliant upon heaven. I'm reliant upon heaven to do everything that he wants. And God's made it that way. He's made you deficient because your sufficiency is only in him. He's made you that way. So it's good to understand that you're deficient. It should be liberating. We should be like, woo! Thank God. For where I am weak, he is strong. I'm deficient in order that his sufficiency would supply. That's, that's where the power lies, people. The power lies in your, in, in your insufficiency. I didn't say your laziness. I didn't say your cowardice. I said it lies in your insufficiency. It means you're trying. This is what insufficiency means. It means you're actually trying to do something. I'm trying to make this work. I just don't know what I'm doing. Now, we've got, now we can release the power of God. Do we get it? Insufficiency means I'm not doing anything, and so there's just nothing happening. No, insufficiency means you're trying 
to do something and you're coming against your inability. That's what it means. And that's when you go, okay, Lord, I'm here, but I have no idea what you're telling me to do. I have no idea what the next step is. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Now you're drawing on his sufficiency. Do you guys understand that? You know, moms, dads, kids, that's what it looks like. And that's the power of the kingdom. So if you're a mom today, if you would stand to your feet. So I'm going to pray for moms first. I'm just going to pray over you, okay? Nothing uncomfortable, nothing strange. I'm just going to bless you this morning. I just want you to receive it, okay? There's an old country song that says there ought to be a hall of fame for mothers because the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Heaven sees you. So ladies, I just want you to open up your heart and just say this with me. Just say, Father, love me. Love me today. And I'm going to pray over you. Holy Spirit, we just release your love upon these moms from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Lord, I release unto them the desires of their heart. I pray an empowerment into their lives, God, that they would be praying mothers, they would be godly mothers, Lord, that they would set their hearts to say, if we, I get one thing right, I'm going to make sure that my children understand and know Jesus. And Father, if those kids are gone, I pray that you would impart to them wisdom and grace on how to reach back in a relationship with, them, with their children. That you would help these moms, God, to be the bridge builders back into the distant, broken lives of their children, if indeed that is the case. Father, I just release your love. I release your acknowledgement to these moms. I release to them the desires of their heart. And we just bless you for that this morning, God. We bless you for that this morning. And God, you just release it with the presence of your spirit. You release it with the flow of love coming down into their hearts and that sureness that's coming into that peace that's coming into their being. That's the marker. And God, we just release that. And we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one real warm quick. If you're a woman today, if you would stand to your feet. You can, moms, you can still stay standing. But if you're a lady here and you're a woman today, you would just stay standing. I want to pray for you too, all right? I want you to lift your hands, ladies. You want me to make you sing? Because the Bible tells you to sing? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> lift your hands if you want it. If Jesus has got something for you, right? He has something for you. Say with me, Holy Spirit. Grant me the wisdom to understand who I am as a woman. Grant me the ability to use who I am wisely and efficiently and beautifully for your glory. I thank you, Father, that you have accepted me. I thank you, Father, that I matter. I thank you, Father, that I have a purposeful and meaningful, and meaningful destiny, destiny as, a as a woman. I call it out now, it out in, now. Jesus in Jesus' name. And I humble my heart, humble my heart beneath, your will. beneath your will. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we got, uh, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we're doing uh, photographs over here, so we're going to dismiss. I'm going to bless you, do a blessing over you. If you'd sign up, if you want your uh, picture taken for Mother's Day, that room right there, Heidel, that awesome super dolphin fan right there, the man of faith. I always tell him when he wears that jersey, he is a man of faith. Just by wearing that jersey, that's faith. 
So um, let me bless you one more time. But Mother's Day pictures are right over there. And one more time. Uh, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. And may you forever live in the Lord's favor. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God loves you. That's enough. If you need prayer, we have people for prayer right over here as well. So.